Uh, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to be continuing uh, in our series in Hebrews. Uh, I don't know, about two weeks ago we uh, moved into kind of part two of what's going to be a four-part series through uh, this letter. Uh, and this uh, part is themed, Our Confidence in Christ. Um, but as you turn there, uh, I want to take a quick moment uh, just to thank, uh, first I want to thank Whitney uh, for leading us. This morning, uh, if y'all don't know Whitney, Whitney's led for us a lot. If you've been a part of If Gathering, I think she's been a uh, part of If Gathering at least one time for us. Uh, but man, we are glad to have Whitney leading us in worship this morning. Uh, secondly, I want to just say uh, a big thank you uh, to each of y'all for the time away last week. Uh, Haley and I and the rest of the crew, uh, we uh, went to Montana and man, it was an amazing experience. Uh, I think something that I'm learning more and more, and actually I rejected this for years and years. I have a buddy uh, named Jeremy McCowan, and Jeremy would always tell me, he's like, Kyle, you got to get outside. Just his kind of theme for his life is go outside. And I would always respond with, why would I when there's air conditioning inside? Like, And then I didn't know that not every place feels like Brenham uh, does. And so we went outside last week. I mean, there is something, one of the things I'm finding is there is something about being out in the beauty of creation that just puts things in its proper place. I mean, multiple times as we were walking, we would stop and we would take pictures and, and we would get done taking the picture and we would tell each other, like, why aren't we even taking pictures? Because the beauty can't even be captured in what the camera is taking, right? And I'm going to show you all a picture here later today of that beauty. Uh, but man, it, it, it was a time where just being out and walking where, man, I could not only rest, but I was just kind of reinvigorated in my walk of faith. That I looked at the beauty of what God had done uh, and that, man, I, I got to just take moments and time just to reflect on His goodness and grace in my life. One more thing I realized, though, is that I think that I have a better understanding uh, of the way uh, people here or people that come here feel about blue bonnets, right? I, I don't know if you know, but if you're here during the springtime, it's like every uh, everything goes out the window. There are no laws in the spring in Washington County. Trespassing is totally okay. Uh, there are no parking laws. You, you, there are babies just getting lost in the tall grass as parents are taking their glamour shots out in the blue bonnets. And I just didn't get it. Mostly because I just don't really care for blue bonnets that much. Uh, to me, like it even drives me more crazy when I drive by houses and everything's cut except for the blue bonnets. If that's you, I, I still love you. I just don't prefer that. They're going down at my house, right? Uh, but, but I had an understanding because as we were driving on a one lane road, man, they were like, I was the one on the wheel and it would just be like, stop here. And we would just pull, jer- pull over and stand on the side of a precipice and just, you know, uh, no care in the world, just taking every photo we could. And so I think, hopefully, coming back, I'll have a bit more grace uh, for those people that I pass in the spring, right? But with that, I think even as I reflect on the time away last week, I, I want to thank, and he, he's not here, but I already texted him this this morning, I want to thank Jeremy uh, for the encouraging and convicting words he preached last week in Hebrews 5, because I, I think like it, it sets us up perfectly for our time together in the text today. So if you remember, since we started Hebrews, 
Really, the threat or the pushback from the writer is based on this threat that's come to these second generation Jewish Christians, uh, which is that they are uh, tempted or they are being drawn back or uh, looking to turn back to what they once knew, to what was once comfortable, to what seemed safe. Because, man, as they are now disciples of Jesus, things aren't the way they were before. And so they have this pull, and as we saw last week, and we're going to continue to see today, uh, the threat is this, that they would look to other things for confidence rather than Christ. That they would turn away from the one thing to another thing. And I don't know about you, but we feel this pull and this wrestling at times, do we not? You see, in life, but... Specifically, life as a disciple of Jesus in moments, the grass can seem greener, right? Like like you can look at life and say, if I could just get to this point of, and then you fill in the blank, right? If I could get to this point in my work, if I could get to this point in uh, my relationships, be it in dating or singleness or marriage, or if I could get to this point, really, if if my kids could get to this point, I would be all right. You see, the thing about it is whatever it is that you fill in the blank with, man, you you don't find any rest. You see, not only is Jesus greater, not only is our confidence to be in Christ, man, the reality is, is He is the only source of rest. You see, along with this problem, at times, it, 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 the thing about it, the thing about just kind of this pull, or maybe today I'll term it as a drift, is, man, that drift can be pretty slow, right? There can be this slow drift away from our confidence in Christ that bears fruit to living lives, as we saw last week, of stagnation, dull hearing. But the writer takes it even further today in in warning the people he's writing to. And I believe it's a warning for us to wrestle with as well because he even presents that, that there can be, there is a difference between real faith and a superficial faith that proves itself to be no faith at all. And so we need to be alert to this threat for the Christian life. I love what Jeremy said last week that, man, the Christian life, the life of a disciple, It's not a stagnant life. You are either moving towards or away from Jesus. There's no middle ground. And so what we saw last week, and again, I believe Jeremy did a phenomenal job laying out the two warnings in this call about our tendency to drift into dull hearing. First, he said that dull hearing is a heart condition. Again, what's inside affects the outside, right? Over and over again, Jesus, in talking to the Pharisees, what does He say? He says, hey, look, you you present the outside to look really good, but the inside is what? Man, it's dirty. That's what needs to be cleansed. You see, if you truly know Christ, you will be changed. There's no other option. Secondly, we saw that dull hearing leads to immaturity. The writer says, hey, there is nothing wrong with milk, but man, as a believer, as a follower, you were to move from milk to solid food. We're going to dive into that a bit deeper here in just a moment. And then lastly, because Jesus loves you too much to leave you where you are by grace and the work of the Spirit, what we see is that the mature Christian trains and grows in godliness. And it is to be a constant 
practice. We never move beyond the good news of the gospel, but we definitely dive deeper into that very good news. And guess what? It affects every part of life. You see, the product of the love of Christ working in and through you means that as you understand it more and more, as you grow in an understanding of the depths of the Gospel, it makes you hungrier for more and more. You want to go deeper. And so today, are you satisfied or are you hungry for more? You see, in light of the thread of apostasy that dangles in the faces of those that this letter was written to, but also, guess what? This letter was written to us. And I believe that this thread is bigger than probably we realize or give it credit for. The writer is going to call us to greater confidence in Christ that bears mature fruit by presenting our need to move forward from our foundation in Christ, followed by laying out one of the biggest warnings in the Scriptures regarding true faith versus superficial faith. And then he's going to, the writer's going to close out with an exhortation towards continuing on in light of our confidence. Now I want to preface before I jump into verse 1 that this is not an easy text today which actually says a lot about Hebrews. I've already said it, and we talk about it every week. I mean, Hebrews is the hardest book I've ever preached through. But, but this text in particular, this is a hard text. But I believe that it's one that pushes us to wrestle with the state of our own hearts, but also encourages us to go after more. And so let's begin. Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 3 is well where we will start this morning. It says this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Okay, so what happens here is the chapter begins with therefore... And so you have to go back and see what it's there for. And what we find is that the writer is connecting us to the threat we saw last week. It's really just a continuation of of what uh, chapter 5 ended with. And you see it's this call to solid food. This call away from dull hearing that leads us now to this call to leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and to go on to maturity. Now, I want to stop right there for a moment because um, I think that you can hear that and and begin to be, okay, like we just moved beyond the good news of Jesus. No, that's not what's happening here. You see, while we never leave the foundational truths of the gospel, what we also have to realize, and I believe what the writer is doing here, is that those foundational truths are just that. They are the foundation that is to be built upon. So as we think about our lives as disciples of Jesus, as we think about the gospel, everything hinges on that. If you don't have that foundation, nothing, according to what Jesus says, nothing will be built. It'll be like a house that's built on the sand. As soon as something comes, it'll just fall down. So we have to have that foundation. But again, it is a foundation that's to be built upon. It would be like this. like I don't know if you've ever built a house before. Uh, But maybe just say, just imagine for a moment that you're going to build a house. 
and you let me know and you say, hey, Kyle, uh, I, we've been working on this house. It's ready. I want you to come see it. I'm really excited about it. We're going to start moving stuff in today. And I say, okay, awesome. Like, let's, I can't wait. I'll come. And we set up a time. And as I'm driving up, I'm looking and I see, I don't see anything at first. And then I begin to see you and you're moving around frantically. And, and then I begin to see furniture. And I'm like, okay, I guess they're unpacking, unloading and, and getting ready. And then I guess I get closer. I arrive and all I see is a foundation with a bunch of furniture that you've already laid out. There's no walls, there's no roof, it's just concrete and pipes sticking out of the ground. And I get out of the car and I'm like, hey, well, and you just, with the biggest, most excited gleam on your face, say, look at my house. I'm going to be like, hey, you're kind of crazy, okay? Because the reality is, is that I can look at it, and I can see the, the foundation. I can understand your excitement. The reality is, is it's not a house yet. It's a beautiful foundation. It's exciting. But there's more to come. You see, that's, uh, that's our call. Like, the gospel presents that. The gospel gives us our foundation. It says, hey, now go give, live lives of faith that build upon and proclaim, right? Going back to what you see in, in Genesis at creation, when God makes Adam and Eve, what he says is he tells them, he says what? He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with what? My glory. That's what our lives are to be. Because of what Jesus has done, we are now new creation and we have been commissioned, Matthew 28, to go and be fruitful and multiply again. To fill the earth. To build upon this foundation. You see, the thing about it is a lot, I believe that a lot of people are just satisfied with that foundational stuff. I believe that what the writer is really pressing against here is that reality. It's kind of like this in faith. It's um, what we've been dealing with with my children lately. So, so my son is in first grade and every night he has homework. And one of the things he has to do right now is every day he has to count to a hundred. I remember those days, right? And he's, he's pretty pumped about it. He gets through it. He gets to a hundred and I say, good job. But a couple of weeks ago, it didn't take long for him to start to kind of skirt around counting to a hundred. He came to me and he said, dad, I can count to a hundred real fast. I said, okay. You t- do it. And he goes, one, two, skip a few, 99, 100, boom, best ever. And he, I was like, I've heard that before, you know, and he's like, what? You're old. Uh, how do you know things like that? Uh, but that like, he was so proud of it. He's like, one, two, skip a few, 99, 100. I did it, dad. I mean, as I hear that, I think that the phrase like that exemplifies many who claim faith in Christ. They love the beginning and they look forward to the end. But the reality is, and this is what we're going to work through for the rest of our time today, is that the life of faith and the fruit of faith is worked out in the 96 numbers in between. You see, the mark of one's faith is found in the life of faith that is lived, but specifically in a life that perseveres. It doesn't turn back to those elementary things. but also it's a life that bears fruit. You see, it's not simply just that you hope to have faith, but that because of the foundation that's been given in Jesus, that you would live out your faith. For faith, James 2 says, without what? Without works, it's dead. Not that your works save you, but they are a result or a fruit of what Jesus has done in you. 
You see, the reason we need to build upon our foundation and the reason we need to care about the 96 in between is because God is inexhaustible and there's always more to be had. Like if you built your foundation and were really excited about it and told me, hey, look at my house, I would look at you and say, yes, but there's more to come. I mean, I can't wait to celebrate around a dinner table when we have walls and AC and, you know, the rain won't get on us and, and you know, like... That's like there's more to be had. The foundation never changes, but begin to build out your faith. The waters of grace, the depths of wisdom, all of it is ready. So today, are you hungry for more or are you dull and simply satisfied with the foundation? What the writer does is list out then the foundational call of faith for every disciple of Jesus. Again, a foundation that is built upon Not in the form of works, but in the display of fruit. For we will be known by our fruit. And what the writer does is is takes this reality and says, don't turn back to other things. Don't lay again a foundation. The writer is saying, there's already a foundation there. Don't put something on top of it. Don't, Don't go try to build a new foundation. This is the only one you need. The writer does it in three ways. First, says, don't turn back to repentance from dead works and a faith towards God. What this means is, is, hey, don't go back to those works that you've already repented of thinking they could save you. Don't look back to your rebellion. Rather, look to your life in Christ. Next, we see the, the instruction to not turn back to uh, instructions about washings and the laying on of hands. What this means is that we aren't to go back to old temple rituals thinking they will make us clean. You are clean in Christ. And guess what? You have been immersed, baptized into a new identity. And then lastly, we see this call against laying another foundation or a different foundation regarding the resurrection of Christ and judgment. You see, the thing about who Jesus is and what He has done is He is the resurrection. We don't have to question it. He says I am. He says I am the resurrection and what? The life. But also what we know from Scripture is He's also the judge. He's the judge, but He's also the one that took our punishment. And so we get this and then in verse 3, He, he makes this odd statement. Or the writer makes this odd statement which says, uh, we'll, we'll get to that if God permits. And what that is, is he's actually talking about, we'll get back to Melchizedek if God permits. You see, the reality is, and because this thread is so great, uh, the, these uh, foundational truths must be dived into uh, because um, real faith, true faith is a matter of first importance. We can talk about it. And guess what we're, Jeremy's going to talk about in a couple of weeks? Melchizedek in depth. We'll get there. Let's sit here. You see, the threat for the day, the threat for our day, is that you can have the attributes of faith without having any faith at all. Which is why this warning comes and what follows. Let's look now at verses 4 through 8. Just stick with me here. It says this, For it is impossible... 
In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. You see, today's text is a tough one. And the reason it's a tough one is because when first reading these verses, it it can make you begin to ask a lot of questions about the gospel, about the scriptures, and even the foundation of one's faith. But also, I believe that when read and not understood, it can lead to a lot of poor theology regarding salvation. You see, here's just a couple of common thoughts that, that have come out of this. Some of these are believed, and I believe the, the first two are uh, incorrect. The, the, the first common thought about this text is that the writer is presenting that one can truly lose their salvation. That some, and there are some, who believe this. And so I want to clarify up front, we're not going to beat around the bush, we're not going to take it, you know, wait till the end of the sermon to get... No, the passage does not teach that you can lose your salvation. That's not in the Scriptures. Some would say that according to this text, the loss is not a loss of one's salvation, but a loss of one's reward as a consequence of lack of faith in sin. And to that, I'll say that sin has consequences. But I don't believe that's the focus of the text. Rather, I believe that what the writer is presenting here is a call to persevere. For through perseverance, what we see is the product of genuine faith. Faith displayed in the life of a disciple as opposed to superficial faith that really had no faith to begin with. You see, the thing about dull hearing that we saw last week is it can reveal the real issue. Because on the one hand, you can just be dull of hearing which I believe in seasons, every disciple, like there comes a moment, like even as I wrestled this week, I was like, man, there's areas in my life where I'm dull of hearing. But also dullness of hearing can, can reveal that, man, you, you really, you, you haven't heard and believed and put your faith in the truth of the gospel. You don't have a real faith, you have a superficial faith. And so while the passage does not teach that you can lose your salvation, it is presenting a warning that is very important regarding the nature of salvation and faith in the Gospel. Which proclaims saving faith that endures to the end. You see, the warning is that you can be near faith, but not have faith. And there are many who reside here and need to turn in repentance to faith. And so the writer, the writer doesn't know the hearts of the people. And guess what? Uh, God only knows the hearts. And so what we see is a general statement that comes as a warning to all. It's a warning that displays how impossible it is to have faith and lose it, but also how impossible it is to believe that you can reject your faith and believe you ever had it. 
way it goes about. It's like, hey, if you could do that, then if you, if you could just reject it at a whim and, and, do, and, and never come back, and then he, he, it would be like crucifying Christ the second time, which can't happen. He died once for all. It is finished. And so the question becomes, how is one saved? How is one saved? Well, we know the answer is Jesus, right? By grace, you are saved through faith in Christ, not by anything you can do, but solely by turning to Jesus who stood in your place. Jesus stood in your place. Therefore, repent and believe. And then, by grace, through faith, man, you just continue on believing. You go deeper. You realize your need for grace daily. That that reality expands and expounds. You see, the Gospel is both concrete and progressive. It is the 1, 2, and the 99 and 100, but it's also the 96 in between. The easy way to say it is that real faith perseveres and bears fruit. Perseveres and bears fruit. You see, I believe we have a problem. I believe we specifically have a problem in our cultural context because we live in a place that is filled with what I would term as cultural Christianity. What's happened is this question, how is one saved, has been hijacked. And what we've done is we said, hey, actually the foundation is only these things. And then after that, just stay at the foundation. Things like this. Just be a good person. Or, and I think we like this one better, be better than the bad people. You ever hear that? Like, uh, that's an argument I've heard before. I think I used to believe that argument, right? Like, just, I just got to be better than the bad people. Who's the bad people? Well, my first answer was always like, well, Hitler's the bad person. Pretty easy. I think I can be better than him. Just be better than the bad people. We know that's a farce because, man, we're all broken. We're actually, Scripture says we're dead in our sin. Deserving of the wrath of God. So we believe that if I'm just better than the bad people, I don't have to go any further with my faith. That'll get, that's enough. Or maybe you're on the other side. I just do enough. I project enough. Maybe I know enough. Which leads to what? It leads to a whole life of box checking. And the, the crazy reality is, I remember when I was a kid, like junior high, like I thought that box checking was it, right? Like I would go, like I got to go to church, and every time I go to church, I check that box. And as long as I have more checks than X marks, I'll be okay. You know, I need to, to go to church enough, but not enough to where it requires much of me or gets in the way of my schedule. Maybe for you, like it's just the fact that, well, I was just baptized. Which is why we say every time we baptize someone here, this water does not save you. All this is, is a response to what Jesus has done in saving you. I think just to kind of get in further into our context here, I think for many it's just like, well, I was just confirmed when I was a little kid. Maybe. But I believe that God is the only one who confirms for He's the only one who saves. 
And I think a lot of times, like we, whether it's on the baptism side or I go to church side or my parents are Christian side or I'm just good enough, or all those things, guess what? We begin to try to create our own system and it all falls apart. But not only do we, we like our own system, we like our foundation. And so what we do is we say, this is enough. This is it. And you look at lives and it's just a bunch of people sitting on just slabs of foundations with nothing built. And so in terms of general church life, we realize that what the writer shares deepens the reality of the warning as well as the brokenness. You see, if you've been around all these things, but you're still turning to another means of salvation, or if you sprinkle Jesus in the midst of your personalized cultural Christianity, uh, what the writer's getting at is what else is there to be said? You see, the truth of the matter is that you can be really near to Christ, but not know Him at all. Now, let me just give some examples of this. I'll start, let me give an example from the Scriptures, and then we'll do life, and then Scriptures and life, okay? In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable. In Matthew 13, He tells a parable about these soils. And a sower went out to sow, right? And the seed is the good news of the gospel, and it's being cast out every which way, and it's falling on the soils of the heart. That's what the soil represents. Now the first soil, the, the, the seed falls and it's immediately snatched away. The second one springs up but has no root. And, and so the sun burns it up. The third lasts for a while. But then it gets choked out and it bears no fruit. It's only the last one that bears fruit. Now I think two things. One, I think that can correlate to the life of every believer. That there are moments when we say, hey... And my life is, is, is kind of being choked out by some stuff and I need to repent so that I can bear fruit. But also, I believe there is this reality in this picture of salvation and what happens. Because, man, when you're saved by grace through faith, man, you bear fruit. You bear the fruit of that grace. You don't just receive new life. You live differently. The quick interpretation, according to one writer, is that at times the unsaved looked like they were saved for a while, but in the end, especially when testing came, they just fell away and dried up. And so we have that. That's an example from the scriptures. The, the, the kind of life example I can think of that I think is going to be really apparent over the next few weeks is you're going to start seeing a whole lot of Houston Astros stuff because we're in the playoffs now. And then when you get to the playoffs, all your Fairweather fans start showing up, right? And they start, they, they're coming out of the woodwork and you're like, yeah, man, that jersey hasn't been around since the Killer Bees and it looks like it hasn't been worn since Biggio and Bagwell were on the field, you know, but you pulled it out for the playoffs, right? And you see these Fairweather fans and they're only there because they're winning. They're always looking to the winner of the moment. You see, Jesus never called us to be fans. He's called us to be followers. And, and again, so many terms have just been hijacked and used that, that, that we used to be able to use. It's not a Twitter follower or an Instagram follower or a faith. Like, it, like, He calls you to something totally different. According to the Gospel, what Jesus calls us to in following is to drop everything and follow. Not only that, but when we talk about this idea of fair weather fans, guess what? Jesus' win looked a lot like a loss, did it not? 
Like, for those standing there, like, they, like he died. Game over. Not. You see, a fan lives for self while a follower lives for one they follow. And so today, who are you living for? Fans only follow when things are easy and good for them. But Jesus says you can't follow unless you, what? Die to self and pick up your cross. Die to self daily and pick up your cross and follow. He goes even further. Like there's moments he says, hey, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And we're going to experience the symbol of what that means in just a bit. So when we think about this, like how is this revealed? How is it revealed, this idea of real faith and superficial faith in the life of a believer? Well, I believe we go back to Scripture and life. I think we have a perfect picture of what that looks like, although it's a heartbreaking picture. Look at Judas. The guy walked with Jesus for three years and yet revealed he had no faith. That's an example of being near but not known. And I think, again, like if we were going to answer that question, who are the bad people? Like if it's Hitler or Judas. And we don't realize like we're in the same boat apart from grace. Then also look like the, the crazy thing about the good news of Jesus is that you have everyone is on the same playing field because the cross is the great leveler and revealer of our sin and brokenness because everyone else like Peter and David and Abraham and Moses they all these you know they all have these great acts of faith and yet guess what they still stumble and fall and so when we think about this the difference between superficial and true faith is while we stumble We're to live lives of fruitful repentance. And when we don't deny ourselves and pick up our cross, that we say, okay, God, I repent. May I deny myself and what I want. May I pick up my cross and follow you, no no matter what it is. Proverbs, it says, a righteous man falls seven times, but he continues to get back up. Not in his own strength, only by the grace of God. He continues to look to Jesus. So a quick litmus test. As you think about your life, is your life bearing fruit? Like are you bearing a harvest of righteousness? You see, the truth is this, once saved, always saved, but once saved, forever following. Not that there's not moments where we turn and run, but guess what? Like what are we just seeing? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. But it's this crying out, say, God, take my heart. You see, this text, what it does to present this is it gives this example of a field that is drenched with rain. It says there's two options when the rain comes on this field. Option one is that it's going to proclaim, uh, it's going to reveal either faith, and option two is just going to produce thorns and thistles. One proclaims the fruit of the foundation that comes in the gospel. The other, in the end, is only burned up. Now, now, one thing I want you to hear is that in life, 
It's not always like that one-to-one ratio where we think, okay, I put this in, this is what I'm going to get back. No, at times, like our faith, I believe a lot of times our faith is just a daily dying to self and following Jesus. And then fruit comes along the way. We're guaranteed that we will see it. But I think sometimes like we step out and we say, okay, I'm going to step out in faith and we don't see the fruit immediately. And what do we do? I'm just going to go back to the foundation. It's easier over there. No, we need to be like a farmer. Like a farmer doesn't walk outside after planting in the next day and be like, well, there's no corn. I'm done, right? Till it up. No, he knows. The farmer's like, I got to be patient. I got to wait on the rain. The sun needs to shine. Uh, you know, I need all these things so that we can see a harvest. Same holds true for our lives. Thomas D. Leah says that it is possible. For an individual to approach the Word of God without any relish for its message. It is possible for a person to have something resembling Christian experience without genuinely knowing Christ. And the readers of Hebrews were looking, sounding, and seeming to be like believers, but they were being urged to show the reality of their faith by enduring in their commitment to Jesus. You see, it's one thing to say, I believe, it's another thing to endure and and, and reveal my commitment to Jesus. So I think for us, may we heed this warning today. Let us wrestle. Today is your life bearing the fruit of faith. Or are you near but find yourself trusting in other things? Like in your life, if you, as I listed those things about being good or being better or, you know, these, these moments. And again, I'm not trying to get you to doubt. I want you to wrestle. But I want you to wrestle in this way. Are you the same today as you were in terms of faith, holiness, and knowledge as when you began? You see, if you've never grown in faith, do you really have faith? Or are you just still sitting on that, well, that's just that foundation. And so with that, as we sit in the reality of this call and in this picture of wrestling, I want to close out with just some encouragement by the writer. Verses 9 through 12. Let's read this. Though we speak in this way, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to look, overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The thread of a text like the one we just walked through is that when not understood could bring one to doubt their faith when in reality they have faith. I don't believe that's the goal of the writer. I think the writer wants us to wrestle in regards to the genuineness of our faith. Is it true or is it superficial? But here at the end, what the writer seeks to do is build confidence in those being written to. Not not a false hope, but Christ-centered confidence. You see, while this is a blunt warning, uh, what the writer says is, we feel sure of better things. But it's not just better things. It's things that belong to salvation. And then we see that, that the writer's goal is threefold. To instill hope, to ensure confidence, and then to send them as persevering disciples. So the first is that they would instill hope 
The writer calls them beloved, which is a term of endearment, but also a term of identity. You are beloved of the Father. He instills the hope that what we see are things that belong to salvation. You see the fruit of inward life. The writer says that we see the fruit of the inward life of faith. And the product of this is that, that the things that belong to salvation are showing themselves in outward response of work and love towards others. But then he goes further. He says, hey, and guess what? This wasn't when you were excited, just when you were excited in the past. Because again, it's really easy to be excited in the beginning, is it not? Like husbands and wives, like in the beginning, like right after the honeymoon, like you get home and you're like, oh, I'm going to serve my spouse so well and it's really easy. And then they start doing some things that get on your nerves or maybe you just get real tired and you're like, no, they're going to, I'm not going to serve them, but they better keep serving me or we're going to have problems. It's really easy. But what the writer says is, hey, as you followed Jesus, it's not that you were excited them and served them. He says, you still do it today. You see, the mark of faith is not service of self, but service towards others. The A mark of faith. So we see that the writer seeks to instill hope. Next, uh, the writer seeks to ensure confidence. What the writer does is it, it tells them to earnestly keep going. How does he do that? Well, first he says, don't be sluggish. Now, that word sluggish there is lazy, which is the same word we saw last week for dull hearing. What the writer's doing is saying, don't live a dull life. Guess what? Like, as believers, like, we're so freed up because of the gospel. We should lead the most exciting lives around us. I'm not saying like, you've got to go jump out of an airplane every day, right? What I'm saying is like, we should be actually be excited about living. I used to tell my students all the time, and I, I think this is okay. Uh, when I was in student ministry way back when, I was like, hey, guess what? Every day you wake up as a disciple, you have the best job in the world. And they were like, what's the best job? It's like, you get to wake up and kick Satan in the teeth. Like, and you should be excited about living for the kingdom of God. Are we excited? Or are we sluggish? We are to work at our faith by working out our faith, as Paul says in Philippians 2, with fear and trembling. I love R. Kent Hughes. He says that those who work at their faith make their hope sure. The Bible is clear that no one can be saved by works, but it is also clear, Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, saving faith works. Then in closing, the text calls us to imitate. I believe one of the graces of the church is that we, as we see one another, man, we model what Jesus is doing in each other's lives. Or we don't. Which should be a sobering reality. Are we, moving, are we modeling in such a way that people are moving towards Jesus or away from Him? We imitate the work of Christ displayed in one another. And then lastly, the, the writer seeks to send by calling them to perseverance. You see, perseverance in the life of every follower of Jesus proclaims the gospel to the world around them. You see, we are called to proclaim as we persevere, but also to encourage as we persevere. So last week, I told you all, we went to Glacier National and man, we climbed a mountain. I'm not a whole, uh, much of a mountain climber, but we did it and I loved it and I want to go back. But as we were going up the mountain, 
we're trekking up, people are coming down. It's you hike in and you hike out on the same trail. And so we're going up on the first day and people coming down are saying, keep going, it's worth it. Keep going, it's worth it. Don't worry, keep going, it's worth it. You got this, keep going, it's worth it. Which to me, like in the words of Nate Bargatze, one of my favorite comedians is, hey, everybody's confident on the way down, okay? Uh, like, but he's like, keep going, you got it. And so we kept going. And guess what? We got to the top and it was worth it. I got a picture here. And again, that doesn't even begin. This is Avalanche Lake. This was on day one. And we were just like, oh my gosh. It was so worth it. And so we sat there for a while and we took in the beauty of God's creation. And guess what? We started to make our trek back out. And guess what we were doing? As people were walking up, we were saying, hey, keep going. It's worth it. Keep going. It's worth it. It's beautiful. Just keep going. But what was even more amazing, and, and Haley and I, we kept talking about this as we were walking, is that not only did we get to encourage, but uh, man, it, just us doing it, just Haley doing it was a proclamation, right? Because I kid you not, we start down the mountain and people are walking up and they would see Haley and they would be like, if she can do it, I can do it. <laughs> It was like, it was like multiple times. Everybody like, oh my God, like I'm going to keep going. If she can do it, I can do it. If she can persevere through it, then I know I can. Over and over and over again. Guess what, church? We have way better news that is way more worth it. For we have the beautiful hope that brings the dead to life. Therefore, let us persevere. And in doing so, may we proclaim to others both in the church and outside that the journey is worth it. And that if by God's grace we, we, by God's grace we persevere, then, then guess what? As they look at our lives, they say, man, if God's grace allows them to persevere, God's grace is big enough for them to do the same. That's our calling. That's why we don't have dull hearing. That's why we should wrestle with our faith. Not that we lose it. We want to say, Jesus, I want you to do such a work. I want you to build such a thing in my life that people can only say, oh, it must be worth it. And man, I see God's grace in your life and what He's doing. Man, man, it gives me the encouragement and the motivation. It is good news to my soul. And man, I want that. That's what we're after. And so I'm going to invite Whitney back up, and I just want to invite you to take some time just to wrestle. I've got a couple of uh, just kind of response questions uh, up on the screen uh, for you just to kind of wrestle with for a moment. The first is, man, today where do you find your life of faith? Is it dull? Is it fruitful? And not in like a, uh, like one, you should be ashamed if, if you're seeing fruit. Like we should celebrate fruit, but also like it's not in a like braggadocious, like arrogant way. We just tell that, God, thank you for this fruit in my life. May I use it for your glory. But maybe today you find you're just wrestling in some areas. And I invite you to, to, to turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. Maybe today you're like, man, I only have superficial faith. All, all those things, those checked boxes, those whatever it is, like that's me. I mean, if that's you today, I want to invite you to in true, authentic faith in Jesus because it's only found in Him. 
Man, if you need that today, I want you to come. I'll be up here at the front. You can come talk with me. You can talk with me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to have a life that is, that, that is faith-filled. Maybe in that, that wrestling is like, man, Jesus, like, help me to go deeper. What are ways that I need to, things I need to turn so that I can actually focus and, and, and deepen these foundational things? And then secondly, which kind of leads into that, what does the work of the Spirit need to do in your heart today so that you uh, bear the fruit of faith? And that it would be just like, as we are around each other, like uh, just the fruit of faith would just be, I mean, it would be apparent. And that we as the church would live lives as we walk together, that people would say, man, there's something different at Center Church because, man, they have this realization that, that, man, the journey is worth it. Man, they persevere even when things get hard. And they support one another and they encourage one another on a way to keep going. I mean, as I see that, like I want to be a part of that. And then lastly, like as you wrestle and pray, I mean, if you're a, a, a disciple of Jesus, if you understand, if you're like, man, no, I understand what Jesus has done for me. And I've given my life to Him. I want to invite you to come and share in communion. Again, communion is that symbol of what Jesus has done. That when we reflect, like He gave all. He gave everything so that we could have life. He died and He rose again in victory. He tasted death so that we don't have to. And in doing that, like when we partake of His body, we're reminded of that. When we partake uh, of uh, the cup, which is the cup of His blood that was poured out, we are reminded of that. And then guess what? It ensures us of who we are in Christ. It instills in us confidence. And then, man, we are sent out to go proclaim that. So I want to invite you to that. I'm going to pray for us. Y'all can share in communion when you're ready. And we'll sing. Jesus, again, I thank You for Your Word. And I thank You that there is depth to it. Lord, that this is just the beginning. That there is more to be had. I pray for each person here today that they would just have a deep realization that there's more to be had. That we would not be dull of hearing or dull of living. God, I pray that You would just do such a work that, that even in our wrestling, that we would know that, that, that wrestling is, uh, is uh, a good thing because it is filled with Your grace and mercy because You took the punishment. God, that You meet us there. Lord, I pray even in that You would convict, that You would convert, that You would encourage, that You would shape our hearts and lives in such a way that we would be a people that proclaim that that, that You are the one worthy, but also, God, that that, that it is worth it. And we don't have to look to anything else because You are our only hope. I pray that You move now and that You would work in each of our hearts and lives.